Chapter Twenty Four of the Huguenot by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. The Execution. Within the walls of the Bastille, some weeks passed over almost without incident, but not without pain to the Count de Mousset. But it would be tedious to detail all the feelings and the thoughts that crossed each other in his bosom during that period he was still allowed a great degree of liberty was permitted to take exercise in the great court to converse with many of the other prisoners and to hear whispers of what was taking place in the world without but none of those whispers gave him any tidings of those he loved any indication of his own probable fate or any news of the church to which he belonged and he remarked with pain that while many of the other prisoners received visits from their friends and acquaintances, either no one sought to see him, or else those who did so were excluded by some express order. He grieved over this, and perhaps felt with some degree of bitterness of spirit that the iron of captivity might not only enter into the soul, but might wear and corrode the mind on which it pressed such feelings made him at once apply himself eagerly to everything that could occupy his thoughts and turn them from contemplations which he knew to be not only painful but hurtful also and he soon created for himself a number of those occupations which many an unhappy man besides himself has devised at different times for the solace of captivity the library however was his greatest enjoyment though so fond of all manly exercises and famous for his skill therein he had from his youth loved the communing with other minds in the pages which the hand of genius has traced and which have been given forth as the deliberate effort of the writer's spirit he loved i say that communing with other men's hearts and minds which is undisturbed by discussion or wordy dispute or any of the petty vanities that creep into the living conversation even of the great the learned and the good and now though the library was small and perhaps not very well selected yet there was many a book therein which afforded him sweet occupation during some at least of the melancholy hours of imprisonment at other times he walked the length of the courtyard gaining where he could a gleam of sunshine and rather than suffer his thoughts as he did so walk to dwell upon the painful theme of his own fate he would count the very stones of the pavement and moralise upon their shapes and colours almost every day during the period we have mentioned the guard was turned out the prisoners having their liberties were ordered to keep back and a train of others in the stricter state of imprisonment were marched out to the arsenal amongst these was usually the unhappy chevalier de rohan and the wistful longing gaze with which one day he looked round the court as he passed through seeming to envy the other prisoners the sort of liberty they enjoyed caused the count de mousset to task severely his own heart for the repinings which he felt at his own situation various little occurrences of the same kind took place from time to time affording a momentary matter of interest in the midst of the dark sameness of the prison life at one period, during the whole of several nights, the Count de Mousseux heard at intervals voices which seemed to be shouting through speaking-trumpets. The place from which the sound proceeded varied constantly. 
and the young prisoner could only conclude that some friends of one of the sad inhabitants of the Bastille were prowling round it, endeavouring to communicate intelligence. He listened eagerly, in the supposition that those sounds might be addressed to him, but though from time to time he could catch a single word, such as dead, told, etc., he could make no continuous sense of what was said. The first time this occurred was shortly after his examination before the commission, and it continued for three or four nights to be repeated at different hours, but still the sounds were too distant for him to ascertain the meaning of the speakers, and he was obliged to content himself with believing that this intelligence was not intended for himself, and hoping that it had been more distinct to the unfortunate person for whose ears it was designed. After having listened during the whole of one night, and the words not being repeated, he determined to ask one of his fellow prisoners, who had the liberty, like himself, of walking in the court, whether he had heard it, and had been able to make out what was said. The personage whom he fixed upon in his own mind for that purpose was a tall, upright, elderly man, with a soldier-like air, and a good deal of frankness of manner, approaching perhaps to what is called bluffness, without being in the slightest degree rude or uncivil. He seemed to seek nobody but to converse willingly with any one when he was sought, gave his opinion in few words, but distinctly, accurately, and positively, bore his imprisonment with perfect lightness and indifference, never referred in the slightest degree to the cause thereof or to his own history, though without appearing to avoid the subject at all, and, in short, impressed strongly on the minds of those who saw him, and were accustomed to judge of the world, that he was a frank, upright, straightforward soldier, accustomed to various kinds of endurance, and bearing all with manly firmness and resolution. He spoke French with great fluency and accuracy, but at times, in conversing with him, the Count de Mousseux had fancied he could remark a foreign accent, though very slight, and he was inclined to believe that the old officer was one of the Vimerians, who had served so long in the pay of France. His countenance, indeed, was not like that of a German. There was more quickness and brightness of the eye, and the features were more elongated, and somewhat sharper than is common amongst the Teutonic races. But still a great part of the Vimerian troops had been levied on the borders of the Rhine, where the mixture of French and other blood often makes itself strongly to be remarked amongst the German population. His ordinary walk was from one corner of the courtyard to the opposite angle, which gave the utmost extent of space that could be had, and there the young Count, on descending the staircase, found him walking up and down with his usual quick pace and erect carriage. Though the old man neither paused nor noticed him further than by a passing "'Good morning, sir,' the Count joined him, and at once spoke of the matter in question. "'Have you heard,' he said, "'during this last night or two, some people shouting, apparently through speaking trumpets, as if they wished to convey intelligence to one of us prisoners?' "'Once or twice very faintly,' replied the other, "'but I am on the opposite side of the prison to you, you know, and the sounds I heard seemed to come from your side, or, at all events, not further round than the well-tower.' "'Do you think they were addressed to you?' "'I think not,' replied the Count, "'and if they were, I certainly could make nothing of them. 
I looked out of my window to get a sight as far as possible of the speakers by the moonlight the other night, but I was not successful, for I can see, as I am placed, into the little Place Saint-Antoine, but no further. However, I tried to distinguish the voices, and certainly they were not those of anyone I know. "'The speaking trumpet makes a great difference,' replied his companion. "'I should have liked to have heard them more distinctly.' "'Do you think they were intended for you?' said the Count. "'Oh, dear, no,' replied the other. "'Nobody can have anything to tell me. "'If ever my liberty comes, it will come at once, "'and as to either trying me or punishing me in any way "'other than by imprisonment, that they dare not do.' "'That is in some degree a happy situation,' said the Count. "'But I scarcely know how that can be, "'for judging by my own case and that of many others,' I have no slight reason to believe that they dare try or punish any man in France, whether guilty or not. "'Any Frenchman, you mean, Count,' replied the stranger, "'but that does not happen to be my case. "'And though my own king may be rascal and fool enough to let me stay here wearing out the last days of a life, "'the greater part of which has been devoted to the service of himself and his ungrateful ancestors,' yet I do not believe that he dare for his life suffer me to be publicly injured. A trial would, as a matter of course, be known sooner or later. They may poison me, perhaps, he continued, to keep me quiet, though I do not think it either. Your king is not so bad as that, though he is a great tyrant, but he is not bloody by his nature. However, Monsieur de Merseuil, as I am not here for any crime— as I never had anything to do with a conspiracy of any kind, as I am not a native of this country or a subject of your king, as I have not a secret in the world and little more money than will serve to feed and clothe me, I do not see that anyone can have either object or interest in hallooing at me through a speaking trumpet. "'You have excited my curiosity,' said the Count, "'and a Frenchman's curiosity, you know, is always somewhat intrusive.' "'But as you have just said that you have not a secret in the world, "'it will seem less impertinent than it otherwise would be "'if I ask what, in the name of fortune, you can be here for.' "'Not in the least impertinent,' replied the other. "'I am here for something of the same kind that they tell me you are in here for, "'namely, for differing from the King of France in regard to transubstantiation, "'for thinking that he'll go to the devil at once when he dies "'without stopping halfway at a post-house called Purgatory, "'which a set of scoundrels have established for their own particular convenience, "'and for judging it a great deal better that people should sing psalms "'and say their prayers in a language that they understand "'than in a tongue they know not a word of. "'I mean, in short, for being a Protestant, "'for if it had not been for that, I should not have been in here.' The fact was I served long in this country in former times and have taken it into my head to see it again, and to visit some old friends I undertook a commission to bring back a couple of brats of a poor cousin of mine who had been left here for their education. Louis found out what I was about, declared that I came to make Protestant converts and shut me up in the Bastille, where I have been now nearly nine months. I sent a message over to the King of England by a fellow prisoner who was set at liberty some time ago. But every one knows that Charles would have sold his own soul by the pound and thrown his father and mother and all his family into the scale for the sake of a few crowns at any time. This popish rascal, too, who is now on the throne, doubtless thinks 
that I am just as well where I am, so I calculate upon whistling away my days within the four walls of this court. I don't care, it can't last very long. I was sixty-five on the third of last month, and though there feels some life in these old limbs, the days of Methuselah, thank God, are gone by, and we've no more kicking about now for a thousand years. I shouldn't wonder, he continued, if the people you heard were hallooing to that unfortunate Chevalier de Rohan, whom they dragged through this morning to be interrogated again. They say he'll have his head chopped off to a certainty. If we could have found out what the people said, we might have told him, for prisoners will get at each other, let them do what they like. I listened for one whole night, said the Count, but found it quite in vain. The judges, I suppose, are satisfied that I had nothing to do with this business of the Chevalier de Rohans, otherwise they would have had me up again for examination. God knows, replied his companion. Tyranny is like an actor at a country fair, and one never knows which way he will kick next. Thus passed the conversation between the Count and the old English officer, whose name, somewhat disfigured indeed, may be found written in the registers of the Bastille as arrested on suspicion for which crime he, like many others, was subjected to imprisonment for a lengthened period. He and the Count de Mousseux now usually took their walk together, and in his society the young nobleman found no small delight, for there was a sort of quaint indifference which gave salt and flavour to considerable good sense and originality of thought. The old man himself seemed to take a pleasure in conversing with the young Count, which was evidently not the case with the generality of his fellow-prisoners. One morning, however, towards the end of the period we have mentioned, the sound of the falling drawbridge was heard, the soldiers drew up in double line, the order for all the other prisoners to fall back was given, and the Chevalier de Rohan, followed by two or three other prisoners, amongst whom were Vandenenden and a lady, were brought in as if from examination. The countenances of almost all were very pale, with the exception of that of the Chevalier de Rohan, which was inflamed, with a fiery spot on either cheek, while his eyes flashed fire and his lips were absolutely covered with foam. Four times between the great gate of the court and the tower in which he was confined, he halted abruptly, and turning round with furious gestures to the guards and jailers who surrounded him, poured forth a torrent of fierce and angry words, exclaiming that he had been deceived, cheated, that the king's name had been used to assure him of safety, and that now the king had retracted the promises and was going to murder him. It was in vain that the guards tried to stop him, and endeavoured to force him onward. Still he turned round as soon as ever he had an opportunity, and shouted forth the same accusation with horrible imprecations and even blasphemies. The second prisoner, who seemed to be a military man, paused and regarded the chevalier with a stern and somewhat scornful air, but the lady and the old man, Vandenenden, were drowned in tears, and from all the Count saw he concluded that the trial of the Chevalier and his accomplices had either terminated in their condemnation, or else had taken such a turn as showed that result to be inevitable. From that time none of the prisoners who had the liberties of the Bastille were allowed to remain in the court when the Chevalier and his accomplices passed through it, an order being given before the gates were opened for everyone to retire to his own apartments. Three days after this new regulation, such an order having been given, the Count obeyed it willingly, for the weather had become cold and damp, and the court of the Bastille felt like a well. 
he had obtained permission to take some books out of the library, in which there was no fire allowed, and sitting by the embers in his own apartment, he was endeavouring to amuse himself by reading, when the sounds of what seemed to him carts, in greater numbers than usual, mingled with the tongues of many persons speaking, called him to the little window of his chamber. He saw that the small Place Saint-Antoine was filled with a crowd of people surrounding two or three large carts, as they seemed, but he could not make out what the persons present were about, and after looking on for a few minutes he returned to his book. Everything within the walls of the Bastille seemed to be unusually still and quiet, and for rather more than an hour and a half he read on, till some sound of a peculiar character, or some sudden impression on his own mind which he could not account for, made him again rise and hasten to the window. When he did so, a sight was presented to his eyes which would have required long years to efface its recollection. The carts which he had seen, and the materials they contained, had been by this time erected into a scaffold, and in the front thereof, turned towards the Rue Saint-Antoine, which, as well as the square itself, was filled with an immense multitude of people, was a block with an axe leaning against the side. At one corner of the scaffold was erected a gibbet, and in the front, within a foot or two of the block, stood the unfortunate Chevalier de Rohan, with a priest on one side of him, pouring consolation or instruction into his ear, while the executioner on the other side was busily cutting off his hair to prepare his neck for the stroke. Two or three other prisoners were behind with several priests in the assistance of the executioner, and amongst them again was seen the form of the old man, Vandenenden, and of the lady whom the Count had beheld pass through the court of the castle. The old man seemed scarcely able to support himself, and was upheld near the foot of the gallows by two of the guards. But the lady, with her head uncovered and her fine hair gathered together in a knot near the top of her head, stood alone, calm, and to all appearance perfectly self-possessed and as she turned for a moment to look at the weak old man, whose writhing agitation at parting with a life that he could not expect to prolong for many years, even if pardoned, was truly lamentable, she showed the Count de Mousseuil a fine though somewhat faded countenance, with every line expressive of perfect resolution and tranquillity. The Count de Mousseuil was a brave man who had confronted death a thousand times, who had seen it in many an awful shape and accompanied by many a terrible accessory but when he looked at the upturned faces of the multitude the block the axe the gibbet the executioners the cold grey sky above that spoke of hopelessness the thronged windows all around teeming with gaping faces and all the horrible parade of public execution he could not but wonder at the self-possession and the calmness of that lady's look and demeanour as one about to suffer in that awful scene. His, however, was no heart that could delight in such spectacles, and withdrawing almost immediately from the window, he waited in deep thought. In about a minute after there was a sort of low murmur, followed by a heavy stroke, and then the murmur sounded like the rushing of a distant wind. In a few moments after that, again came another blow, and the Count thought that there was a suppressed scream, mingled with the wave-like sound of the multitude. Again came that harsh blow, accompanied by a similar noise, and lastly a loud shout, 
in which there were mingled tones of ferocity and derision, very different from any which had been heard before. Not aware of what could have produced the change, the Count was once more irresistibly led to the window, where he beheld swinging and writhing on the gibbet the form of the old man, Vandenenden, whose pusillanimity seemed to have excited the contempt and indignation of the populace. On the other parts of the scaffold, the executioner and his assistants were seen gathering up the bloody ruins of the human temples they had overthrown. Sickened and pained, the Count turned away and covered his eyes with his hands, asking himself in the low voice of thought, When will this be my fate also? End of chapter 24